There we go. Can you hear me? Great. All right. Well, if I don't know you, my name is Katie, and I am both excited and very nervous to be up here in front of you tonight, um, but more excited than nervous, so here we go. Um, I'm going to start out by reading our passage tonight, um, so you can follow along with me, whether it's in your packet or um, there are some pew Bibles slash soft gray chair Bibles under the seats. Um, so we're in Colossians 2, starting in verses 4 through 23. So I'm going to read that for us before we get started. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth as from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the God. All right. So that's a pretty hefty passage. I was a little intimidated by just how much deep truths are in here. So um, to start off, got my little anecdote at the beginning of my lesson. So a favorite movie in our house since my daughter was probably about two is Moana. Have you ever, have you ever seen Moana? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Um, so if you haven't seen Moana, it's really good. Highly recommend it. But um, it's set about 2,000 years ago in ancient Polynesia. And it's a story about a young girl who must go on a journey to rescue her family from these unseen evil forces. Um, one of the major themes in Moana is her identity. So Moana is constantly at war with who she is and who she wants to be and just unsure of everything. Eventually, it is her identity and who she wants to be that pushes Moana along on her journey to save her people. At one of Moana's lowest points, even the spirit of her grandmother, again, you have to see it, do you know what I'm talking about, sings her this song and asks her, do you know who you are? Well, she responds, Moana sings back several declarations of who she is and where she comes from, leading her to find the strength she needs to complete her quest and to be victorious over what's hurting her people. Well, 2,000 years ago, we also have Paul doing something similar. 
He um, is writing from prison, as we learned the first week from Chally. He's writing to this church at a town of Colossae, which he hadn't even visited yet, um, but he has heard of their faith. Um, but he is reminding them of who they are and where they come from. He's reminding them of the faith that established them and encourages them to continue to hold fast to Christ just as they were taught with good order and firmness. I imagine Paul writing this with such tenderness towards these people, he's in chains, he's quoting this to Timothy, just don't you know who you are? Just with such um, kindness and compassion pouring out of him. But Paul's purpose isn't to gird us up to fight lava monsters or to save our people or to defeat anything evil necessarily. But his purpose in writing this is written right in verse four, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We know that there is at least one, if not several teachers, um, kind of permeating the Colossian church community with these different versions of religion coming in. There's a mixture of this myth, pagan mysticism and asceticism and um, Jewish traditions, and you must hold to all of these things in order to be counted worthy or to be counted spiritual or enlightened. Um, but what was so dangerous about these teachings and this teacher that was what they were peddling around was it was plausible, as Paul puts it. Whether what they were teaching sounded reasonable, maybe even persuasive. Nothing like that around here, right? We don't have any false teaching in our day and age, right? But so what they were sounding, what they were teaching sounded like it could be the truth. Sounded attractive, maybe. Um, but they were just lies, lies that told them they needed something more than Christ to be counted worthy. Can you think of any plausible arguments that you have heard? And can you think of any ones maybe you're tempted to believe? We're gonna talk about that in our, breakout, um, in our breakout groups in a little bit, but just kinda think on that, because we are still, nothing new under the sun, we're still getting hit with plausible arguments everywhere. Um, Paul's main exhortation comes in verse six. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we know that the Bible specifically, well, both the Old and New Testament is full of agricultural imagery describing roots and being planted and seeds and all that good stuff. Can you guys shout out a few examples that come to mind when you think of like the growth and agriculture examples? The faith of the mustard seed, yeah. Yeah, the pair of the soils, yeah. What's that? Tree planted by streams of water. You must have saw my notes, Carissa. I'm just kidding. Yeah, so we are full of it. In the Old Testament, you hear about vineyards and um, seeds and the faith of mustard seed in the New Testament. And even God, Jesus himself says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do nothing. Um, like Carissa said, Psalm 1-3 tells us that a wise man is like a tree planted by streams of water. What happens when a plant is firmly rooted by a reliable water and nutrient source? It flourishes, it grows, you're right. And depending on what kind of plant it is, it will produce some fruit, right? So when we are planted and rooted in Christ, we also produce fruit. Jesus even says that we are known by our fruits in Matthew. We see throughout scripture that the fruits of Christ's work in us through the spirit are good works, worship and praise of him and good qualities such as joy, patience, peace, gentleness. If you want me to sing the fruits of the spirit song, I'll do that for you later, but I'm not gonna do it right now. Um, but another fruit that we bear when we are rooted in Christ is full assurance of our identity. When we are rooted in Christ, we grow and are sustained only through him. In Galatians 2, Paul asked the church of Galatia, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? What is begun 
in the spirit, what Jesus started in you cannot be completed in your flesh. Um, Paul even encouraged the church at Philippi and Philippians with this assurance, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Christ starts his work in our hearts and continues to sustain us to the end of the days. So Christ doesn't just transform us and save us and give us our our moment, um, but he continues to sustain us, continues to save us through, um, through the end of our lives. So in light of all of this, pretty heavy stuff, um, Paul moves on to instruction, and it has a tone of warning to it in verse 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So the phrase used here, take captive, is actually a verb that was often used to describe the plundering of a cargo ship. So something being carried off as spoils and plunder from war. Um, so Paul's concerned that this is a very real danger. It's not just like, oh, you might get confused for a little bit. You might just be led astray for a little bit. But no, he was fearful that they would be taken off um, by these empty teachings. So Paul then paints a beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ to remind us why we must not be taken captive and why we don't have to be taken captive by false teaching and empty deceit. And that's because of the fullness found in Christ. Um, I would like us to all read this together. We're going to read verse 9 through 14. So if you can turn there in your Bible or in your packet. Um, Let's read. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Thank you. So um, another shouted out question. So based on that passage that we just read, 9 through 14, what do we see, what truths about Christ are presented to us in that section? Yeah, the fullness of God dwells in him. Yeah, he has all rule and authority. Mm-hmm. What's that? He fills us. Mm-hmm. Yep. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and triumphed over them. So we see several pictures of Christ in here, and now some of you have said those, but what is true about us in Christ based on what we just read? We already said we're filled in him. What did you say, Meg? Yes. 
Yeah, we're made alive together with him. We're buried with him and cleansed in baptism. We're resurrected with him. Our debt is canceled. We're made alive. Amen. Yeah, we're circumcised spiritually, made a part of his covenant. Yeah, so all these pictures of the truth, he's reminding these Colossians of who you are and said this other stuff shouldn't matter because of this fullness of God and through Christ. So next, um, in the next section, verses 16 through 23, remind us that because of the fullness of God's, Christ's redemptive work on the cross, they don't, we and the Colossians didn't, don't need anything else to achieve higher knowledge or enlightenment or anything else to be counted worthy, and any pursuit of anything else is in vain. We see some of the theological errors being preached um, here in the section. So we see food and drink, festival, new moon, and Sabbath. So that's kind of referring to the Jewish traditions and ceremonies. And then we see the kind of mysticism and asceticism, um, worship of angels, visions, all that kind of stuff that is probably really unfamiliar to us. Um, and that was like a means of spiritual maturity and enlightenment. Um, the main problem with both of these things was a lack of the gospel, or as verse 19 puts it, not holding fast to the head. Well, I don't think of it, that any of us are tempted to celebrate a new moon festival, don't even know what that is, or to worship angels. What are we tempted to believe that we need to do or not do in order to be deemed worthy by our peers in or outside the church? What secondary issues have we elevated to primary issues in order to qualify or disqualify others? Is it the way we educate our children? Is it the foods or drinks that we do or do not partake in? Is it our Bible translation preferences? Is it our political leanings? Now, God does call us to a moral living, and we'll talk more about that next week, but obedience to him is a result of our salvation and not a performance in order to gain salvation. When we try to earn favor by being good, it turns into legalism, and that's kind of how I grew up in my household. It was a Christian household, but it was very rule-based. It wasn't gospel-based. Um, so you need to do this, this, this. You, need to go, you better be at church on Sunday morning. You better not say any bad words, but there was never any why, you know. So, um, so listen to what this is um, author Felicia Masonheimer says about legalism. Legalism is when a man-made rule is elevated to the level of divine command. Legalism is man's shortcut to holiness, but like most shortcuts, it doesn't accomplish God's intentions. Legalism limits God, minimizes who he is, and blinds us to his true work. Since Christ died to fulfill the law and abolish the elemental spirits of the world, we have no need to try to add these things back in. When Christ has qualified me for salvation through the blood of his cross, no one else can disqualify me. As Paul says in Romans 8:33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Paul spills a lot of ink here to remind the believers that Christ is enough. Since the fullness of God exists in Christ, it is unnecessary to supplement our faith with anything else whether it is strict adherence to law, mysticism, other spiritual enlightenment, or anything else that tells us Christ just isn't enough, you need something else. And when we appropriate Jesus' death and resurrection, it becomes our foundation for life. Lesser things like legalism and other heresies have no rule over us anymore. 
So, friends, we are surrounded by lies and false teachings everywhere we turn. I was telling Charlie and, um, and Jessica and Rosie while we were starting, I was like, I'm just really struggling to believe these truths that I'm trying to teach, and this has been a battle within me. So I'm, if you're struggling with these truths, I'm here with you, I promise. I think we all have or will be there at some point in our Christian walk. Um, so sometimes we're disqualified by those inside and outside the church for things that we do, do or do not do. How can we stand firm in the midst of such attack on our faith? What can we do when our hearts are riddled with doubt, anxiety, and bitterness? By having full assurance of the truth of Christ's work and who we are in light of that. So, dear sisters, do you know who you are? And now I want to use that sheet that you guys have. Um, and I'm just gonna, I just want to kind of do what Rosie did last week and just have a short time of kind of meditation um, and prayer. So I'm gonna read through some of these things, not gonna read all of them, but as I read them, I just want you to pray to yourself or feel free to pray with somebody else if you desire um, and repent where you feel the Lord convicting and um, praise him of where you um, are grateful for his gift. So, and then I'll close this in prayer. So you guys wanna close your eyes or read through your sheet be fine. So, some truths about God through Christ. He is gentle and lowly. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. He is our advocate and intercessor. He is our friend. He is compassionate and merciful. He forgives completely. He is the fullness of God. He is victorious over death and the enemy. He is our shepherd. And friends, listen to these truths about us that are in Christ, and these are not mere platitudes to make you feel better, but these are truths that we can hang our souls on. So you can repeat these to yourself or just reflect as I read. I am a child of God. I am not condemned. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a new creation and I'm being transformed. I am at peace with God. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I am perfectly known and loved. I have been healed by the wounds of Jesus. I have been born again. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your truth that um, you wrote through Paul so long ago, but um, has such sweet truth for our souls here now as women in 21st century America, God. 
um, help us to remember who we are. Um, Bible is full of reminders saying remember, 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 and we so easily forget. God, would you solidify these truths in our hearts that we can recall them when things are difficult, when we're anxious, when we're depressed, when the world seems to be against us, when people misunderstand us. God, allow these truths to not merely just make us feel better and help us pull our stops up pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but that we can truly find rest in our identity and in, in you and what you've done for us. God, thank you for um, forgiving us when we do not deserve it. Thank you for making us children and co-heirs with you that we might inherit eternal life. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. And I think we're going to